Okay, turn with me to Psalm 69. And then what I want you to do is I want you to put your thumb there and turn over to Psalm 73. Everybody good? Okay. Oh. Well, how long is this going to take? <laughs> oh, any, here's what I want to tell you. Look, book three starts at Psalm 73. Did you know that the Psalms are made up of five books compiled together for the worship service in the temple? So we're going to try and, uh, who knows if I'll be able to do this, probably not, but uh, try to get through it. Uh, I don't know if I'll get through 72, but we're going to start at 69. Psalm 69, I, I want you to know that besides Psalm 22 and Psalm 110, besides those two psalms, this particular psalm is quoted uh, or referred to uh, more in the New Testament than any other psalm. So these three psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Psalm 110, and it's for the sufferer. This is a psalm for the sufferer. And if you're suffering or you're in a tribulation or if you're going to be, or if you have been, this is your psalm right here. And what's fascinating about this psalm is it's written by David, set to the music called the lilies, some sort of tune called the lilies. That's interesting to me just by the just that. I mean, you have this mm, unbelievable warrior writing a song to the lilies. And that's what we're called to be, tender warriors, right? Whether we're male or female, we're tender warriors. But So this is a Psalm of David. We have no idea of its setting. We don't know what it is that prompted this Psalm. And that's sort of what I talked about last week. And I got to tell you, I was talking about reproach on Sunday and the Lord reproached me this week. So let me get this out of the way. You know, as I went back and thought about what I talked about, you know, if you stand up here 50, 60, 70, 80 times a, a year, you're going to miscommunicate something. And I feel like I miscommunicated something to all of you last week. And here's what it is. See, what I was trying to say, but not so well, is that when you're reading the Psalms, when you get to about the middle of them, our humanness centers in and we start to lose focus. But sort of the way I said it, and God forgive me, seriously, is that somehow it was not inspired. I didn't say that, but man, when I thought about it, when I went home, the Lord was really busting me. Every single bit of scripture is inspired and they do great things, but I'm just telling you, I've been in a psalm study, and my mind wandered during this part of the time. And what I was trying to say was, isn't it fascinating how David wrote and thought about and prayed and meditated in direct communion with the Lord? Even, I mean, he wrote everything down, even if we can't pinpoint what the situation is in which he wrote these psalms but I didn't say it very well, so forgive me. Every bit of the scriptures are inspired, but we get to Psalm 69, and it's set to the lilies, and it isn't too hard to figure out. Watch what happens. 
The first three verses, uh, some say, commentators, who, especially those who read the language or uh, uh, study the language, this is the most, is distressful a word? This is the most distressed or distressful language, these first three verses, in all of the Psalms in which we read many feel like uh, they're written about being in trouble. Here it goes. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I mean, just, you ever felt like that? You're drowning with life or circumstances or something's happened or grief, whatever. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. There's mud and dirt. And you ever been in, uh, we were in the Dead Sea uh, in March and I went to help this lady who had fallen. No kidding. And I stepped in. I didn't even have my bathing suit on. I stepped in and I went thunk right up to there. It just went right in there, and I had trouble getting my leg out. And uh, th- that's what I think of when I think of this. I sink in deep mire. And where there is no standing. You ever been to that place? Yes. The de- I mean, you ever been in the, a creek or a running, rushing water, and you're trying to get your footing, and you can't, and it's coming up, and it's sort of scary because you're tumbling over? We used to live in Hawaii, and the... Sometimes we thought the waves weren't that bad, and then you'd go out there and they'd just nail you and nail you, and they were bad, and that's what this is like. I sink in the deep mire, and there's, it's, it's, you know, I can't even hardly stand. I come into these deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary with my crying. You ever been so sad about something or someone or had a, uh, something that's happened in your life that you're just worn out from crying? And your throat becomes dry. I mean, you're, you're dehydrated and your eyes fail while I wait for my God. The implication is he can't see through his tears. Something's happened to David. And you look at his life and I mean, he went through all of them. I mean, he was rejected, I think, by his family. I mean, that just right there would be rough and tough. He wasn't even thought of as to go out and fight Goliath. They didn't even think about him. I mean, can you imagine a dad not thinking much of you, of even bringing you out. Well, he, he thought that, and he had at least, listen, you know, we always talk about Absalom uh, uh, being the young son who, not young, but the son who, uh, you know, rebelled against him. He had another son right at the end of his life, right on his deathbed, named Adonijah, who stole the, uh, tried to steal the kingdom from him too, and tried to steal the kingdom from Solomon. I mean, he had rebellion, and in fact, uh, well, anyway, uh, he had uh, terrible sin in his life that he knew he had sinned against the Lord. He had people who died because of his bad choices, and lots of people died because of his bad choices. I mean, he had tough stuff, and all throughout it, people were talking about him. Watch this, and not only just talking about him, watch, those who hate me without a cause. He felt like people were hating him, and they didn't have a reason to. It wasn't that he wasn't a sinner, but that he was innocent in some of these. You ever, you ever had that happen where you've done something uh, righteous or you stood up and it was a difficult thing to do and people didn't like you for it? And those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. I mean, he has a lot of people who are mad at him because of what he's doing in righteousness or trying to follow God. They're mighty who would destroy me. So not only are they talking about him, they're hatching plans 
to wipe him out. You get it? There's a big difference between just talking about somebody than trying to get him off the throne or get him wiped out. That's what they're doing. They're mighty too. These folks aren't people to be messed with. And they're my enemies. They're being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing. Now that's a fascinating thing. I still must restore it. In other words, he's saying here, they're blaming me. They're telling me I'm doing something wrong against them. And I'm going to have to sort of uh, uh, make it right. And the weird part about it is, uh, I don't know why I have to make it right, David's saying, because I didn't do anything. And yet, I know I'm going to have to make it right. And so, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. I mean, he is an innocent guy. What's fascinating about this is, if you look at all the characters, especially in the Old Testament, they had stolen things, like Moses. I mean, he took a life. Remember that? And he buried it in the sand. Well, how about David himself? He took Bathsheba. And you could go on and on and on. Almost all of the Old Testament characters, they had stolen something. And what's interesting about it is our Lord, Jesus Christ, didn't steal anything. In fact, in the second chapter of Philippians, it says that he uh, didn't consider it robbery. He didn't steal the fact that he is equal with God. He is God. And yet, he, watch this, he's the one who fulfilled this in the most incredible way. He stole nothing, yet he restores us through his work on the cross. So here's what I'm telling you about this psalm. You could study this all your life. In fact, I would recommend this if you wanted to do a devotion. You just said, well, I want to take 15 minutes every day and do a devotion. Well, one of the things you could do is you could do this psalm, and you could try to understand this psalm, and then you could go to the seven different places that are referred to in the New Testament and see how it matches up. But when you read this, uh, verse 4... Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. You see this mysterious, beautiful sense in which the Holy Spirit is working through the pen of David and the mind of David. And yet, watch, there's a far fulfillment that David didn't even know necessarily that the Lord was doing the work in him. You get what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like Psalm 22, almost too incredible to think about. Remember, these psalms are, you know, 600, 700 years prior to the time of Christ. And Psalm 22 opens with this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Think about it. At the time in which David thought that the Lord was the farthest from him, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Lord was using him to write the very words down that Jesus would utter on the cross. Now that's important for us and for you and for me, is that oftentimes we get in a situation like David is here, Or maybe, you know, Jesus was, of course. 
will not get in that situation. But you get what I'm saying, a hard situation, a, a, a trial. And we think, where are you, Lord? And the reality is he's never closer, just like David. Well, here it says, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. It's the beauty of this psalm. We know David is writing this about some situation, and yet the Lord's using it to speak in a bigger and deeper way about the Lord, the Messiah. So he goes on and he says, Oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. Now that's interesting because several times David, when he's writing the Psalms, he says he's blameless a lot. And it doesn't mean he's sinless. It just means he's mature and he didn't act inappropriate in the situation in which he's writing about. But in this Psalm, he's just laying it all out there. Lord, these people hate me and I'm struggling with it. I feel like it's coming up over my neck and I'm just watching it. I'm stuck in the mud and it's here and I know it's going to go higher and I have no idea what to do other than just to run to you. That's the sense that we read here in the beginning. And then he says, Lord, you know my foolishness and my sins. I think probably what he's talking about with foolishness is like unintentional sins. And then when he says sins, he's talking about the ones he intended. But he knows all of them are not hidden from God. And let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Now I want you to see the incredible maturity that David has gained from following the Lord and being through all of these situations. What do you mean maturity? Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, the God of Israel, because for your sake, I have borne reproach. Now watch this. You know what I would have prayed? Lord, get me out of this situation right now. I need, you, you know Christmas is coming up, Thanksgiving is coming, and I want everything off my plate. I don't want any pressures, any worries. I want all my ducks in a row. I want the boss to give me that bonus at the end of the year. I want to be, have everything happy. I can buy my wife that nice new ring she wants, and everything's going to be great. That's probably what I'd be praying. Watch this. He prays in the middle of a circumstance where he's flooding out and dying, he feels like. Lord, in the middle of this trial, in the middle of this tribulation, may I not make you or make people see you and be ashamed of any way in which I've acted. May, may my conduct in this not trip anybody up. Do you see that? Whew, is that mature? It, it, what I'm doing while I'm here in the middle of this crying and wave that's coming over me, may none of it, never, any of it, not give you glory. That's a mature prayer. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. I don't want anybody to look at me in the middle of this and deny you, Lord. Wow. Because for your sake... Because for your sake, I have borne reproach. <laughs> this is suffering because of your loyalty to God. Suffering because of your loyalty to God. 
You, you know, you, you've read um, all of them, uh, all the epistles and uh, uh, the New Testament. When uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said to count it all joy, count it all joy when you're in the middle of trials because your faith produces stuff that's godly, good godly character. And your faith, the, the New Testament tells us, is more precious than gold. May it be found to be worthy of praising God even in the midst of fire. I'm paraphrasing, but those are the things that the New Testament says. And that's the same thing he's sort of saying here. In fact, Jesus said, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, can you believe this next word? Rejoice. And be exceedingly glad, for great is your ward in heaven. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Because of your sake, I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. Watch, I've become a stranger to my brothers. Do you remember that? Now, Jesus sort of was rejected. Not sort of, he was rejected by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by his brothers. You could look at that in John 7 and Mark 3. Even his family rejected him. David felt that too, of course. They didn't even, they thought he was a runt. There's just the littlest. And he was an alien to my mother's children. Boy, that's a tough place to be. Maybe some of you have come from a tough home life. That's a tough place to be. And here he says, because zeal for your house has eaten me up. And there's one of the references in the New Testament. It's taken right from this psalm. Do you remember in what context it was taken? Well, for David, the zeal of the Lord's house ate him up. Remember, he wanted to build the house of the Lord. And the Lord said, nope, you can't. You're a man of war. I'm going to let your son do it. You know what David said when the Lord told him that? Not like Americans. Americans go, oh, the pastor doesn't like me. God hates me now. I'm not going to do the thing that I want to do. You know what the, David said when the Lord told him, you're a man of war. You're not going to build the house your son is. He goes, thanks. That's great, Lord. Tell me what to do. Can I help uh, uh, build, uh, uh, gather all the uh, stuff for the temple? Can I do that? Yeah, you could do that. He didn't cry and whine. He just fit right in where the Lord showed him, right? Not everybody can teach. Not everybody can worship. Not everybody can do the min uh, whatever. We just, we're fit together, whatever the Lord calls us to, right? Isn't that great? But, so for David, the zeal for his house has eaten him up. But you know, Jesus, when he upset the money changers in John chapter 2, it says this right here, the zeal for his house had eaten him up. And the reproach of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And that's referred to in Romans 15, verse 3. I mean, this is just, just everywhere over here or in this psalm. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting. That became my reproach. In other words, when he started to do godly things, David, it infuriated the world more and more. And people began to reproach him, in a sense, if you can say it that way, reproach him more and more. If you stand up for the Lord in this world, you will be reproached. Got good news for you. You will be reproached, not an if, and, or but. If you stand up and you take a stand for the Lord, you'll be reproached. And here, uh, David uh, talks about that. 
He was weeping and fasting. He was reproached. I also made sackcloth with my garment. I became a proverb. It says byword in mine. He, in other words, he was a punchline. That's what he's saying. I became a punchline to them. They dismissed me as some just nut. That's what they're saying right there. Those who sit in this gate speak against me. Do you know what sit in the gate means? It means you're the important business people, political people. The people in the gate spoke against David. But watch this. But it got to the taverns. And I'm the song of the drunkards. From everywhere, from the gate to the tavern. Everybody was saying, when you stand up for the Lord, they'll all speak out against you. You shouldn't be. I mean, come on, folks, in this political season, why are you surprised that non-Christians vote in a non-Christian way? Why else would they? So here's what I think we should do. Go and meet people who don't think like we do and invite them and love them and be authentic with them and pray for them and share the gospel with them. Doesn't that sound appropriate? Why would anybody, if you're not a Christian, believe in the things that are Christian values? So let's let uh, judgment start at the house of God and let's call, start calling our sin, sin. And let's get on our knees and fast and pray for us, ourselves first, and let's fast and pray for the world. Let's pray for the abortion doctors to be converted. Let's pray for the tavern owners to be converted. Let's pray for the people who sell drugs to be converted. And let's think about how the Lord and, and, and you know, all of us, and, and let's stop thinking Oh, they're the bad ones. Well, let's stop gossiping. And let's see what the Lord will do. But see, I don't think there's much time, but, but, but the Lord is so merciful and gracious. Let's pour our heart out until he comes back in all these ways. Here, people sat in the gate and spoke against him and they sang in the taverns. Well, of course they would do that. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment? That's what you signed up for. That's what we signed up for. Our Lord was a reproach. People hated him without justification. He was the perfect blend of grace and truth. He was innocent in all ways. Why would us, the followers of the master, be any greater than him? We'll be reproached. So let's get together and be on fire in our prayer times. But as for me, my prayer is to you. Watch the prayer. O Lord, in the acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of your mercy. Mercy, what does that mean? Hold back what you deserve. Hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire. And I want you to see again the maturity with which... David prays and talks just like Daniel's friends. What do you mean? Well, he's saying, deliver me out of the mire. Don't let me sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. And let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut its mouth on me. 
Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He's praying for the mercy of God. And he's asking them to get him out of this pretty quickly. But I want you to see something in very... <laughs> that, that I want you to see something so that you'll grow and mature too. But he tags it with this. But you know better the timing than me. In your acceptable time, turn with me to the book of Daniel, into chapter 4, or excuse me, 3. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. It's a very mature thing to say. The friends of David have, or Daniel have just said no to the fiery furnace. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, watch this. They're getting ready to be put in a blazing hot furnace. By the way, they had these things over there, these brick ovens that they used to make the bricks and they would drop you down through the roof. And these things were turned up really hot. Nobody could survive. But watch this. We have no need to answer you in this matter, the friends say. And I don't think they're being smart, Alex, like I would be. I think what they're saying is, the Lord's got us. They were that confident. Watch. You in a fiery furnace? You being stuck in the furnace? Watch this. If that is the case, if you put us in the furnace, our God, whom we serve, watch it, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Everybody in America who believes in the Lord can pray that. I'm convinced. Nobody rejects that prayer. We all want to pray that prayer. We believe God is able. Amen? But watch. We don't believe too much the second one, or we don't like to believe the second part of this. But here's what they say. He'll deliver us. Uh, uh, he's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And here it comes. But if not... That's the sovereignty of God. We've just submitted to the sovereignty of God. But if we die, is what they're saying. If you don't do it, we know you're able, Lord, but if you don't do it, know this, we don't serve your gods. Nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up, Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to see this. Your timing is fine with me. You're the boss, you're sovereign. You control nations. You control my life. I know you're able, but if you're not, or excuse me, if you don't, I'm still serving you no matter what. That's mature, and that's what David is saying here. This is so bad, I'm up to my neck, and it feels like it's going higher. And Lord, I'm praying that you would take me out of this, and of course, I know you can take me out of this, but Lord, you do it in your acceptable time. It's up to you. And Lord, in the middle of it all, I pray that you would help me not to be a stumbling block in my conduct to the world. That's what this guy's saying. <laughs> so he goes on and he says in 16, hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He's almost talking to himself right now about the character of God. And that's something that we need to do in the, in the trials, to talk ourselves through how loving kind God is. His hased, that's the word hased in the Hebrew. If you don't know that word, look it up and it'll bless you. And do not hide your face from 
your servant. He calls, him, he calls himself a servant. For I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. He does. He knows that. Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. Ever, anybody ever felt heavy? I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. That's almost right out of Job, by the way, 16 verse 12. Does this sound familiar? They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, you know, in the gospel accounts, they first offer Jesus this vinegar mixed with gall to deaden the pain. And what does Jesus say? No, I won't have it. Why did he say no? Because the Lord was taking the full brunt of our sin upon him and the full wrath of God. And so he didn't take any pain medication. But right before he died, they offered him some vinegar and he took it. So why? Because right after he took it, he said maybe the most important words of all time. It is finished. And he wanted people to hear it because his throat was dry and parched. And that was one of the things that happens in crucifixion. It's tough to talk and you're dry and your tongue clings to the top of your mouth and it's tough to talk. So he took it so that we and I, for all time, all of us could hear it is finished. And of course, that's referenced in the New Testament. And let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they don't see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Here he's praying a precatory psalm or precatory nature. What's that mean? He's just praying that the Lord in his character deliver justice. And that's sort of, not sort of, that's what happens to those who are outside of Christ. God's full wrath comes upon them instead of our Lord and Savior when we take him as our Lord and Savior. And you know that. It says here, let their dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in the tents. And that uh, reference is in the New Testament in two uh, different places. Uh, one in Matthew 23, 37 through 39, and also in Acts 120. So it's again talking about things that are happening past David. For they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of the grief of those who have wounded or you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Of course, this is real and raw, man. And he comes to that place where he just says, Lord, I just, I pray that my enemies get justice from you. But then there's a big shift. Here it comes in 29. I'm poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than any ox or bull or an ox or bull which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. There's life to be found. 
in God. For the Lord hears the poor and doesn't despise his prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and possess it. Also the descendants of his servants shall inherit it and those who love his name shall dwell in it. And that's the big crescendo. This psalm that started very low ends soaring in praise, S-O-A-R-I-N-G. And what he's trying to tell you is, and tell me, and to tell himself, is that the Lord prevails in the end. And that you're going to live with him forever and ever in Zion. So that, listen, these present trials, although very difficult and heartbreaking and tough And very difficult. He wants you to know that it's just a sliver for all eternity. The descendants of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Praise the Lord. Don't you look around and you go, wow, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Now this is an interesting psalm, Psalm 70. Here's why it's so interesting, because you've heard it before. It's almost the same, well, it is almost exactly the same as Psalm 40, verses 13 through 17. A prayer for, uh, for relief from adversaries, a psalm of David. But I want you to know, or I want you to think about why in the world, in the psalms, the inspired word of God, would he write Psalm 40, verses 13 through 17, hand it to the choir director, and then several days later, or whenever he wrote it, ink it out again? Because we're prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Why is it that we forget so quickly? Why is it that we don't remember the things that God has done? Why is it that we're like those who don't come back and say thank you for the miracles and the healings that the Lord has done? Why is it? Well, I know because we're human. And what's fascinating about it in the New Testament, Peter learned this lesson. Peter learned this lesson. Can can you believe that, Peter? Yes, of course, Peter. He was always slamming his fist on the table and saying, I won't, I will, I'll never, I'll always. And it always got him into trouble, didn't it? But he went on to write some of the New Testament, and he wrote this in 2 Peter 1.12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in present truth. But he knew that there was this tendency, even though you were walking in it now, there's a tendency sometimes to forget. And I think that's what the Lord's getting at here. So he penned it and he gave it to the music director again. And can you imagine the music director? Hey, we already sung this in 40, 13 through 17. And David's like, yeah, but the Lord put this on my heart. And so here it is. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Do it fast. Anybody ever said that? Lord, I can't take it anymore. I need you to get out of, me, out of here fast or get me out of this fast. Make haste to help me, O Lord, 
let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord, don't delay. Now do me a favor and turn over to the first chapter of the book of James, back there at the end of um, the New Testament. Go over to the first chapter of James. Make haste, O God, deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. But let's look at James 1, 2 through 4. I spoke of it earlier. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith... Every time I read this, I can't believe it. Because if there's one thing I lack, it's patience. I always think that the Lord's going to say here in his word, knowing that the testing of your faith produces... Here's what I would have put in there. Thank goodness I'm not him. I would have put holiness... He doesn't do that. He says that there's this thing that's godly and it's patience. Who here is like me? Well, oh, none of you. Okay. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. I don't let patience a lot of time have its perfect work. I screw it all up by trying to manipulate all the situations. Instead of letting the Lord do the battle, I try to fix it and do it, and it ends up bad or poorly. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. Does that mean perfect? It means mature and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack, man, I would think that's holiness. It's patience. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. In other words, why did I take you there? See, we pray, make haste to deliver me. The Lord says, I'm working patience in your life. Oh. Lord, you must not have heard me. Make haste to help me. (laughs) I'm going to say it twice here. (laughs) And he says, I'm trying to produce patience here. Lean into it. I've become a wonder to many. In other words, this is like I'm the punchline again. People are saying things about me and causing people to stop and think. I've become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. May our lives be like that. They might think we're weird at first down at the tavern or in the gates. But maybe somebody will wonder why he or she is so patient in the middle of a trial. How how could you act like this when everything around you is going haywire? How, how, how? And when they say how, bingo. You tell them the supernatural peace and strength from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you, he says, are my strong refuge. Let, oh, sorry. Let them be ashamed. I went on to the next Psalm, didn't I? (laughs) Well, anyway, let them be ashamed and confounded. Verse 2, who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, this is what I was trying to get at. Now watch. He learned. He learned. Watch this. In verse 4, let all those who seek you rejoice 
and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. In other words, okay, Lord, you're asking me for patience, and I want you to be seen as very big in my life, magnified in the middle of this terrible, awful human circumstance. Now watch, he's gotten the, the, uh, the message because in verse 5 he says, but I'm poor and needy, make haste. Watch this. This is the most important part of the whole psalm. Instead of saying, make haste to deliver me something that you can give me, instead of saying, or, or to get me out of, or instead of saying, make haste to help me, I want you to see something. He gets to the place in patience where he can just say, just make haste to me. In other words, I don't care if you deliver me. I don't care if you help me out of this. All I want is you in the middle of it. And to feel your closeness and presence and to know that you care. And the Bible tells us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He says, make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And now you know while he did it twice. That's what we need to know. It's all about the presence of the Lord, communing with the Lord and loving the Lord and being loved by the Lord and being in a vital, dynamic relationship with the Lord. That's what gets us through times that are very difficult and very hurtful. Final Psalm. I don't think I'll get to 72. Are you a seasoned saint? In other words, are you old like me? Well, this is your psalm. This is the psalm for older people. No kidding. This is a psalm for older people. See the gray up here? It's for me. Watch this. How do I know? Here it comes. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong. See, he knows that help comes through him hearing prayer. Be my strong refuge to which, to which I may resort continually. The problem for us is we resort to him sometimes. David, that's the great thing about David. He was always connected with the Lord. A great precursor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ foreshadowing. Oh, you have given the commandment to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, oh my God, out of the hand of the wicked, of course, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, oh Lord God. You are my hope. For you are my trust from my youth. By you, I've been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. Watch this. This is how I got screwed up. I jumped over to here. I've become as a wander to many, but you are my strong refuge. So take what I said five minutes ago and put it there. Man, to be a wonder in the world for people to see a light on a hill. Lord, use our lives. And you know what? When we pray that, think about that. Use our lives, Lord. Look, he uses them in the middle of the difficult situations. I've become as a wonder, but you're my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise. What a prayer that is. Who likes to complain? Oh, again, just me. Let my mouth be filled with your prayer or praise and with your glory all the day. What a 
praise. And the only, or what a, what a verse, and the only way I think that happens is if you know the Lord intimately and he knows you. You can't manufacture this for a while, maybe for a while, but not continually. But to have your mouth be filled with praise and glory all the day, do not cast me off. Here it comes. Senior citizens, do not cast me off in the time of old age. This is for the older saint, no kidding. Don't forsake me when my strength fails. Lord, help me. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Oh, he's getting older. He doesn't remember as much. He doesn't, you can't, you know, walk like he used to, whatever. Ah, you talk about the Lord all the time. He's not with you. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. Oh, God, don't be far from me. Oh, my God, make haste to help me. Sound familiar? Well, it should, because it was in Psalm 70. Let them be confounded and consumed. That's similar to Psalm 35, by the way. Who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I don't know their limits. I'll go in the strength of the Lord God. I'll make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. That's fabulous. There's this tendency for people, and maybe even older people, to talk about how great we are and what we've done for the church and in the church. Here, David recognized that it was what was to fill his mouth was a reliance and a dependence upon the Lord and to make mention of the Lord's righteousness and of his only. Oh God, you've taught me from youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Help me, Lord. You could just pray this. Help me, Lord, to declare your wondrous work. Get the bitterness out of my mouth. Get the bitterness out of my heart. Get the grudges out of my heart. Get the... uh, acrimony between people out of me. Just let me just speak of your wondrous works. Let me go around. I know what my purpose is as I grow older. It's easy. I just read to praise the Lord and to proclaim him to all people. Now also when I am old and gray headed, you think I'm kidding about this being the Psalm for older people. It's I'm not kidding. This is it. Oh God, don't forsake me then. I need your continual presence. Watch this. Hello. If you're older, you and I and we have a big project the Lord's assigned us to. Until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come, who's younger, which if you're older, listen up. I can't believe they don't sing hymns down there. Man, it makes me so mad. I'm going to tell the worship people. I'm going to talk to the pastor. You got to, you kidding me. Some of the guys wear hats in there. And, and on and on and go. There's this disconnect. Lord, or, or older people, the gospel never changes. And we need to have a reverence and a, and a a soberness about the things of the Lord, but we got to be flexible to reach the younger generation. (laughs) 
If they come in here and they sing a song that you don't like, relax. They're loving the Lord. What are you complaining about? If they don't do it exactly the way you do it, they wore a jeans or they wore tennis shoes or they had a hat on backwards, relax. There's something bigger and higher at stake. Be flexible, adapt. I'm not saying water down the gospel. No way. Nobody would do that. I'm not saying water down the worship. No way. But quit being cranky and grumpy. There's this terrible disconnect, like we know better and they don't know. Well, here's what we're called to do. We're called to raise them up and to love them. And if they sing a song that you wouldn't sing, just pipe down. At least that's the way I feel. Because we have a big thing to do. We have an obligation to raise up this generation. That's why we're so passionate about the Winterway Conference and the Narrowway stuff. And we're so passionate about equipping the parents because the statistics say if the parents follow the Lord, the kid has much greater chance of following the Lord. So let's do it. You know what's really sad about Joshua's life? Joshua, you know, was called, not Moses, to bring them out of the promised land, or excuse me, bring them out of Egypt and get them into the promised land. And they wandered through there, and then they finally get them in there, and they have to do battle, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 2, it's one of the saddest two verses in the Bible. And I'm going to find it and read it to you, hopefully. So they finally get in the promised land and they're doing their thing and they're concentrating on the wars and the battles and all that sort of thing. And there's this really sort of just stuck in there verse. That's really rough. And I can't find it. But here's what it says. It says that after... Joshua died. Oh, sorry. Sorry. It's in the Judges. That's where it is. That's why I messed up. After Joshua died, verse 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. He was an old dude. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnah Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them. This makes me cry. Who didn't know the Lord, nor the work which he'd done for Israel. And we're worried about hats. Or that guy played a guitar. I was just saying, you have a mission. I have a mission. We're to teach the younger generation. 
the older men are to teach the younger men to teach. The older ladies are to teach the younger ladies what it is to grow a family and to help out in that way and lots of other things all mixed in there in Titus. Just go read it. We got enough to do without arguing and being grumpy like we just sucked on the lemons. Have a frown all the time. We want to declare the strength of the Lord to that generation. You see in this little church on Wednesday nights? I don't want them just to come here because it's the place to hang out. I want them to know about the power of the Lord. I want them to know that the Lord can do it. I want them the Lord, then all to know that they can be saved and live a life of adventure in the Holy Spirit and that they can see many come to know him in a real and saving way through their lives. Don't you want to see that? Or are we just goofing around trying to uh, put stuff on social media about how great our youth group is? No. Verse 19, also your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Yes, you have shown me great and severe troubles, shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You will increase or shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Also with the lute, I'll praise you and for your, and your faithfulness, O my God, to you I will sing with the harp, O holy one of Israel." My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. Now, I want you to know one last thing, and then I'll close. Whoever wrote this, because it doesn't really say, many people believe it was David, but whatever, whoever wrote this, they had an intimate knowledge of these Psalms because Psalm 71, one through three is almost the same as Psalm 31, one through three. Psalm 71, five seems to be suggested in Psalm 22, nine through 11. Psalm 71, 12 is from Psalm 22 again. My God make haste to help me it takes the thought of Psalm 70, and I could go on and on and on. There, there's tons of references in here. Here's what I'm trying to say, and we'll pray. If you're a seasoned saint like me, isn't it great to have a working knowledge of the scriptures? Isn't it great to not only be a person who knows the facts about the scriptures, but to be an obeyer of the scriptures? And isn't it great to know that you have a mission? He lays it out right here. And the mission is to declare to those people right there the greatness of God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you so much. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for um, these incredible uh, scriptures that you've written down here, Lord. We thank you that we can learn from them and they're alive and active and you can put them in our hearts and help us to walk them out uh, tonight as we move on out of here. And I pray for anybody here who feels like they're flooded with life circumstance and I pray for peace and strength and clarity and vision and I pray for they, 
these people who are in that position would feel your closeness, Lord. I thank, uh, thank you that you tell us that in Psalm 70, that it's so mature to recognize in the middle that we just need you. And also, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who's older like me, we'd learn that we're to declare your strength to this generation. Help us, Lord, not to grow up a people, a younger generation, those who don't know you like Joshua's time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.